Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Five Plain Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to Indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bearers, people in the community doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of CANA, the Native American programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our Indigenous communities from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to Brad Kalehammer. Brad Kalehammer's art lives at the crossroads of the real and the imaginary worlds. Born to Native parents and adopted by a German-American family, he was raised in Arizona and Wisconsin and spent his early adulthood as a musician living on the road before settling in New York City. Shaped by this nomadic history, Kalehammer's work explores the particularities of the American landscape, the desert ecology of the Southwest, the parks and waterways of the Upper Midwest, and the gritty streets of the urban Northeast, often fusing references to multiple regions within a single work of art. Similarly, Kalehammer draws from a broad array of artistic sources, from Native American aesthetics to the abstract expressionism to graffiti and popular culture. Even his references to Native culture cut across tribal traditions, as Kalehammer views himself and his art as tribally ambiguous. His art explores notions of cultural hybridity and the experience of navigating multiple communities, as well as the representation and the appropriation of Native culture. So with that said, let's jump into this conversation with Brad Kalehammer. Brad Kalehammer, thank you so much for joining us here at Five Plain Questions. It's such an honor. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Oh, thank you. Uh, would you be able to introduce yourself? Tell us about your background, where you're from, a little bit about yourself. So my name is Brad Kalehammer. Uh, I'm an artist uh, currently splitting my time between New York City and Mesa, Arizona. Currently, I'm talking to you from Mesa as uh, <clears throat> I've stayed on a bit, extended my trip here to, uh, or my time here to accommodate two shows that I have uh, have just opened here at the, uh, the first one is Swap Meet at the Scottsdale Contemporary Art Museum in Phoenix, here in Phoenix. And the second one is 1159 to Tucson. Uh, and that's currently at the Tucson Museum of Art. Uh, and that's more of a survey show. And we, and we both have books, or uh, both shows have accompanying catalogs, which I'm super excited uh, to, uh, to talk about, actually. Oh, yes, that's great. Yes, so we'll definitely get into that. We crossed paths a few years ago when you had an exhibition here at the Plains Art Museum. Uh, we curated that show up on our second floor gallery. It was an amazing show. The multimedia pieces, uh, it really stuck out to me. And it was great to be a part of that exhibition. Right. That was, uh, you know, it was super exciting. That, that show originated at the Minnesota Museum of Art in St. Paul. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised it was beautifully installed. Um, and I just, I think a really great selection of works. Um, uh, and uh, I, I, you know, the space was more, uh, maybe a bit more intimate in, in uh, St. Paul, but then when the show moved on to Fargo, you had, you know, obviously it's, I think a bigger space and more, I think uh, was just like another look at, those same works that was again surprising and then also being in Fargo is you know you're a little closer to the to the homeland so to speak in, in you know the way I think of, of things in a sort of social geography way and then I also did a uh, 
a musical accompaniment. I did a gig at one of the, the local venues in Fargo, which was really fun and a bit experimental. So I think Fargo just sort of allowed me to stretch out a little bit more and expand on the show that started in St. Paul. Yeah, the experience, unfortunately, that night of your art talk and the experience over at Zambro's, uh, unfortunately, I had to be in Nebraska that night. And so I wasn't able to be there. And it was heartbreaking for me because I was the curator of that exhibition. And I had set up that space and I was really excited to meet you. And so, of course, you know, we think we couldn't line things up the, the you know, we couldn't align the stars that night for this conversation. So I'm really happy that we were able to finally get together for this. Yeah, no, it was, it was, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, obviously, uh, I think you were uh, sort of newly installed there or had you been there a while? Uh, no, that, uh, that was my first installation there. Right, right. So, well, I'm, I'm happy to be part of that experience for you. So it was, but overall, it was just great to be up in that, you know, Midwestern central kind of thing. And I, I uh, <clears throat> getting back to my origins, I was uh, born in Tucson, Arizona. So the Tucson show is 1159 to Tucson. That's the title. I was born at 1159 at night. So I have one minute to uh, rush that celebration, which I have done before. And uh, <laughs> two uneven results. And, uh, and it was really, uh, so it's, it's significant, but then also doing, you know, our show up in Fargo, I had uh, I uh, moved to Wisconsin when I was 13 and I graduated from Oshkosh University. So I have a lot of deep connections. I did, I've done a lot of uh, well hunting in Wisconsin and fishing all through uh, uh, Minnesota, mostly on and near the White Earth Reservation. As I have a good friend, Aaron Spangler, who's a, you know, an important artist in, in your area. So I have also a lot of connections you know, from the Sonoran Desert to uh, you know, Minnesota and the upper Midwest. And so you went to school in Wisconsin and then there had been a career and some time in New York city afterwards. Correct. So uh, formative years were in Tucson from, you know, zero to 13 and 13 to, I think I was 25. I just turned 25 and I lo loaded up my little pickup truck, uh, before that, I had graduated and I was playing in a number of road bands up and down the Fox Valley as a guitar player and, and sort of like country roadhouse type band. So I loaded up a guitar and uh, an amplifier and some clothes and moved out to uh, New York City. I had $1,000 in my pocket from gig money and the truck broke down in Kinetic. Um, and then I took a train down to New York City and a, and a, a somewhat distant family friend looked at my uh, portfolio. I had a little, I don't know, commercial portfolio of some sort. And he said, well, the work's here in New York City. So in a sense, I'm still on my way to Boston. That's where we were going to end up. My friend and I, because we looked at a map and uh, we noticed that the, we could handle Milwaukee and Boston seemed to be about the same area. So New York wasn't actually that our plans and then things just really sort of took off in the sort of random way that uh, a city like New York can allow. So thinking back to those days and currently, uh, can you talk about your biggest influences? Well, yes. Um, there's been a few. Uh, I've been extremely fortunate in my life to, to have met some very key people uh, in New York City 
um, and uh, well, and also the Midwest and the Southwest, but uh, that came much later in my trips back. The first uh, key person I would say would be Art Spiegelman. I had got a job at Topps Chewing Gum, which at that time, you know, they did that sort of confectionery uh, Bazooka Joe and then moved on to Garbage Pail Kids and, and baseball cards and things like that. And I was working at an entry level job and, and uh, somehow I caught Art Spiegelman's attention and Artie came over and, and asked if I would join them in the new product uh, development, which I was like, sure, uh, not knowing even what that was. And it turns out I, I quickly became a, a, a somewhat of a design or art director and started employing all the underground cartoonists who were coming out to Tops because you know, we paid ready quickly and uh, that suited that underground cartoon community at the time. Um, and Artie was also doing Raw Magazine, which was a very influential graphics magazine. I think that started, this was a, would have been around 82, 83. And uh, he would come out and show me covers and misprinted things and, and just uh, uh, sort of color shifts and uh, these misprints that reminded me a lot of German Expressionist prints, which I had seen a lot of in Milwaukee, at the Milwaukee Art Museum as I have a collection. But Artie was really taking, identifying artists that were taking that and then uh, sort of brutally affixing it to the downtown culture that was happening at the time, which was punk. And this was, a, was a, a very exciting for me as my drawing style always kind of, I, I draw a lot, that's drawing is really central to my practice. And I would uh, <clears throat> love that kind of immediacy that the cartoonists were bringing to this older form. And then Artie was uh, collecting all this in Raw Magazine. At the same time, he was bringing out mouths. Uh, at the time he was working on it, it was in a, a loosely folder and he would flip through the pages in eight and a half by 11. Um, and it was just exciting to see, you know, the, the, the origins of that, the, you know, super important graphic novel. And he was also quite, you know, like a brilliant person really. And he would give me uh, rides back into New York. I lived downtown in the Lower East Side. He lived in Soho. And, and so I, I learned quite a bit from him on these rides down the BQE and we get stuck in traffic and then he'd just go off about, well, everything. And uh, it was a very exciting time. At the same time, there was a huge club scene in downtown New York, and I was uh, hitting that uh, big dance, you know, massive dance clubs and sound systems, and it was a, a quite a quite. <laughs> I, I don't know if this time could ever even be repeated, to be honest. And and I was also then joined a reggae band, which uh, was a bit of a hybrid experience, which I think, in a sense, uh, gave me that first sort of. Uh, hybrid, well, impulse and experience, you know, where we had, was playing the Jamaican rhythm section, and, you know, New Jersey, uh, white singer, myself, uh, and a, a few other people that were coming in and out. We played these clubs, uh, Danceteria and uh, CBGBs. And it was, uh, at the time, I didn't realize what a vibrant scene this was. You're just, you know, kind of living through this uh, in real time. It was very exciting.
That's so amazing. Yeah, you said Art Spiegelman's name, and I, I didn't make the connection, but yeah, he's the creator of the graphic novel Mouse. That's that's incredible. Yeah, he at the time he was. Uh, you know, the great thing about New York is the density of artists, and he was at the center of this uh, underground cartoon movement, which was, of course, adjacent to the contemporary, you know, gallery movement. They were both quite separate, but but still in the same town and everybody was kind of mixing. It was, a, it was a, just a super potent mix of fashion, music, and art. And this was all happening in the clubs at the time. Uh, and that probably informed the sort of uh, hybrid mix that I have. I'm, I'm, if you go to the 1159 to Tucson, you'll just see it's, it's a you know, kind of total world. And then you know, around 99, I met Jeffrey Deitch, and, and sure enough, he came through my studio door and he said, you know, I'm really interested in showing you because you're one of these few people who's presenting this total world that we don't see in New York City. You know, I was coming in with a very Western point of view. I was already doing trips, you know, to Wyoming, Montana, obviously the Midwest and then the Southwest, and then bringing back uh, uh, that kind of history, combining it with that downtown grit. And, um, and he identified that. Uh, and then showed me my first show was Friendly Frontier, uh, 1999 at Deitch Projects. And uh, he kind of, well, he brought both myself and a number of, I mean, Kehinde Wiley, I remember his first show. And, you know, we all came up in that sort of same class. Um, but also extremely exciting. But uh, there were also a number of, a couple of really influential people on the spiritual side, you know, uh, for me. And this revolved uh, around going to the Sundance. I think I went, it was 2001. And I had met Merle Whistler, who was uh, the Sundance chief at, uh, at Greengrass. There were two dances, I think, I'm sure you're aware of that. One is uh, a larger one that's sort of on the end of the road. And there's one that's uh, kind of off this little two-lane blacktop. And I think they, they called it, they refer to it as the International Sundance. But it wasn't, it wasn't a big, and there weren't that, it wasn't that international. I mean, there was maybe a stray German or Japanese person, you know, kind of on the outside circle. But uh, Merle, I had met Merle Whistler purely by random accident at a opening at Bronwyn Keenan Gallery in New York City, downtown on Cros Crosby Street. And it was just odd, and, you know, I, he, he was like a, you just looked at him, you know, he had that, that whole kind of Lakota biker kind of thing. He was also, you know, biked and, uh, and he invited me to the Sundance. I didn't realize he was an intercessor chief um, or, or he had an altar. And so he, he was at that time um, running that dance. And, and then I, I we talked uh, on and off uh, throughout that time. And I, I, he was just super influential. It was the first time, you know, it was an awakening really for me. And then his, a couple of his people who were working to dance uh, that particular one would pull me aside. And they were all like fifth army guys, right? They even had the patches tattooed on there. Um, and, uh, and they said, you know, we're here for people like you, you know, urban sort of lost bird types. And we're coming, you know, we're, as a kind of re-education camp, so to speak, <laughs> when I'm coming into this. And, and they're making themselves available. And, you know, that very specific knowledge. 
And then later, Merle moved on, and, and uh, I think the next person to take it was uh, Francis Yellow, who actually, I think, is, lives in Minneapolis. Uh, and so he was the second person. And he also had uh, a real, uh, a, a religious training, a very broad training. It was, it was really surprising to hear him, you know, the comparative kind of religious studies he must have taken. I don't know for sure, but. That's who I wanted to mention. It would, it would be Merle Whistler and Francis Yellow, who really filled in this this kind of void in my, you know, because obviously I had the the art life was up and running and really going, you know, full on. And then that spiritual component, that that super important aspect, that kind of gave me the why, you know, and why am I doing this and what am I talking about on a much deeper level. And at the time, at the same time, I was also looking at uh, ledger drawings, and and through through the, this uh, these encounters, it sort of gave life to some of the the moments, the events in the ledger drawings. I fully understand that. So, and to this day, I'm still you know going back to that that sort of well. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, can you talk about your career? Uh, college and post-college <laughs> well that would be a quick conversation because i i don't you know i i just i went to oshkosh i mean i have a uh, uh bachelor's of ba right and i never really went on to uh, uh i i didn't come from a background i mean i come from a very sort of you know what commonly would be as a blue collar you know, working class uh family and uh, so uh, art, you know, uh, higher education wasn't really in the cards, but I did something. So instead I just took it right to the streets and I thought, well, I'll go to New York city and that will, you know, teach me, you know, on and learn through this, through people like Artie and Jeffrey Deitch and uh, Francesca von Habsburg, uh, Kent Logan, who I just lucky her. Uh, and now I've just been very lucky that people have sort of taken me under their wing at various points. Papo Colo and Jeanette Ingerman at Exeter. I started showing their early 90s uh, with some frequency. And, and uh, I've just been lucky that way. Uh, I think I have a, a very acute sense of curiosity and, and maybe a good sense of timing, you know, being in a, a specific social situation. And making myself available, I think, is really the key. And I think that leads us into the question about opportunities, either how you have sought opportunities or how they've presented themselves to you over the years. Well, I, I mean, going back to not pursuing, I mean, most most of a lot of Native artists actually have quite uh, you know gold front educations. If you look into their CVs, and certainly, I teach at SVA. I'm on faculty and. Uh, my student, I teach a master's program and I don't have a master's, but I have, you know, this crazy experience through the years. Um, I, I just, um, you know, I was, it was always a kind of a self-learner kind of uh, attitude I've had. So, mm-hmm. you know, and luck. Along the way, have opportunities come to you? Have have they shifted over time? The types of opportunities, or have you seen a pattern there? Well, 
I mean, it's a kind of suggests that I had the luxury of choice and I really didn't because, you know, I'm, I'm coming out of a very blue collar. There's, there's no money. There's no stipend. I, there's no grandparents who are going to, you know, take me through, uh, you know, uh, Columbia or NYU. That wasn't really ever going to be the case. So uh, when that happens to you, you just, you know, it's like playing guitar. You just play the solo that comes right at that time, you know, it's very immediate. And uh, I probably, you know, going all the way through like Topps chewing gum and meeting Artie and then meeting Jeffrey and just recognizing that uh, they were just bigger stages. You know, I, I was always leveling up uh, in terms of art stage, then recognizing that moment and how important that is and not, you know, blowing it or putting that kind of energy into it. Uh, you know, I probably have one regret where I, I detoured into music around the mid 2000s, which, you know, I, I mean, it's, it's great for my immediate, you know, uh, soul hunger, but it's, you know, in terms of, you know, the art world, it, there's, a, there's expectations that you keep producing show through show and that can create a pressure, which uh, I, I just ignored at that time uh, because I just thought, you know, maybe through misplaced confidence, I could always come back and, you know, recover it. But that's not always the case. Oh, um, hmm. so that being said, have what would you say to the 18 or 22 year old listening to this conversation? Um, hmm. uh, well, I would say just be curious. And, you know, I, I often tell people I'm not really so much in the art game. I'm, the, I'm in the passion business. You know, you have to be extremely passionate to do what I do and, and, you know, remain consistent and not necessarily upbeat all the time, you know, because you're going to have super bad days at times and, but just uh, uh, dedicated, you know, and focused. And so I would say to any young person, if, and it doesn't even have to be art, it could be just anything that you're passionate about, just, just pursue that. And, and keep building on your experience, which is what I did. You know, there wasn't, uh, maybe that's kind of that lack of more formal education. I just made the most of each day. Uh, and, and somehow it's, it's, it's worked out. I mean, obviously there's ups and downs, and, you know, everything. That's what life is, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a journey in that sense. So let's let's talk about right now. Uh, can you talk about what's happening right now? Uh, you had mentioned that you had two exhibitions happening. Uh, can you let the listener know about this? Well, um, yeah, I mean uh, Arizona. So I've had I have two two fairly major shows up here, uh, solo shows. Again, you know, as I mentioned before, the, the uh, Scottsdale Contemporary Museum uh, show called Swap Me which is literally based on a swap meet just a mile down the road. I live uh, between Mesa and Apache Junction. And uh, Apache Junction is one of these sort of more, you know, fringe communities out, tucked right up under the Superstition Mountains, which is an absolutely amazing place to hike. I try and get out there almost every day, um, you know, if I'm not painting or sketching or, or whatever, hiking. And, and, and it, it creates a swap meet here is a, is a kind of, uh, random dusty experience, you know, it's one of these dirt lots. And I bought a, I bought an old trailer on uh, and kept it on one of the swap meet lots. And we finally towed it into, uh, into the gallery. And, and then I, I, 
filled it with a number. I, I imagine it's kind of a headquarters actually for my work as a, as a kind of studio on wheels. I do this a lot. I do a lot of residencies, both self-made and more formal. So this trailer occupies a gallery. It's quite large. It's 30 feet and it's an old, old thing. It's this bit of like a container, like a cadaver, like a, you know, a sort of look back, look forward kind of thing. And the inspiration is I was, I was doing a show in Gallup, small storefront show uh, run by, I think his name is Orlando, I can't remember, Navajo. Uh, and he curated me in it. And uh, it was just great. I, I always like this kind of these fringe uh, reservation towns, like, you know, like Gallup, because of, of the tensions, you know, and they really sonify. It's not a conceptualization uh, of the tensions. You feel them. They're very real. And that's where I think I like making my art. It's all in this kind of fringe. And that sort of gives it the bite. You know, it's a little bit it's a bad edge, I think. Um, so on the way to Gallup, you look out in that vast horizon in the sky and, and you see these house trailers with maybe a wisp of smoke and you know all, this, all the accoutrements are in the yard and, and you wonder who lives there. And so it's that story, it's that wonderment, which then I thought I brought, would bring back into the gallery through objects, you know, whether you're buying old tools, you know, beat up objects and things like that. And then assigning a kind of personification on myself being adopted. So it's this exchange of, of, of objects and tools, uh, you know, much like people. And, you, and you're figuring out your origins and you don't know. And then, and then there's this constant swap meet market. Uh, you know, now it's, it, it's a, a, a part of the conversation of like the, you know, intersectionality. So, but I think it's, it's good to then bring that, as I'm an object maker, I, I have to bring it into the object world to make it more understandable, both to me and I think the audience. And I think in that sense, the show's very successful, uh, has a giant dream catcher, the first one I ever did, uh, and uh, which comes from SF MoMA. And then I made a collection of what I call zombie botanicals, which are you know bits and pieces of desert refuse I pick up and I glue them together. And, uh, and the book is quite good. Um, I did some extensive interviews with Gerald McMaster. He contributed, uh, I think, quite a, a thorough essay uh, on on these issues. And Gerald's really an expert. You know, he's he's an amazing. I've known him for years. Uh, Eva Maival Davis uh, contributes a, a very sharp essay from uh, a Mexican, you know, south border sort of point of view, sort of interchangeable. Like Nogales is just not far from me, so her essay also, uh, uh, you know, it expresses that that sort of weird air that that's around this particular show. And then finally, Natasha Boas, who's the curator, contributes a, a more of a, a wide view. Um, so I, I'm really happy with the catalog. The catalog's designed uh, to. Uh, look like a, a sketchbook. I, I do, I, and I have about 90 of these things. Uh, I sketch all the time, uh, these sort of little brown notebook things, uh, moleskins, and the book looks like that. Mm -hmm. So we have a Mexican publisher, uh, Terramoto. I think they've done a great job. Uh, and then 1159 to Tucson is the second show, which, which just opened, and that's more of a survey of works that, that come from 96 on to nearly the present. 
and Julie Sassy has written more of a biography. And then actually last night I ran into the poet who contributed this really beautiful uh, poet, uh, Natalie Diaz, who's the Pulitzer Prize winner. And she's, she uh, contributed this great po poem, which if you go to the exhibition, it's also on one of the walls, at, featured as an artwork that just happens to be text. I'll post links to these exhibitions so people can, can know. So yes. Uh, so there, there will be dates and they will know where to go. You also have something that's coming up in New York city on May 12th. I do. Um, so I've been working, um, with this, with this gallery, uh, Garth Greenan. Um, and so far it's a, you know, relatively new relationship, but it's been quite good. And, uh, just like this newer gallery, I suppose it's a younger gallery and it's just, um, you know, the kind of energy that they're bringing in the, and then their sense of history, it's, 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 it's a newer sense of history, uh, specifically regarding, you know, native issues. It's not, it's not tethered to, you know, particular Southwest or, or, you know, West Coast or whatever. Uh, I, I just like the freshness of it all. And um, so we're doing a show opening May 12th. I think the tentative working title is Fort Gotham, USA. I might add a little subtitle to that. Uh, Fort Gotham I've been using for years and that's, you know, my moniker for, you know, New York City, mm -hmm. obviously. But I, you know, I'm traveling West quite a bit. I'm always visiting these uh, contested sites, you know, fort sites and battlegrounds, and things like that. So, um, but uh, yes, I'm looking forward. So there'll be a, Another giant dream catcher, uh, I think a level up, you know, but on, on the originals. Uh, and then I just finished three uh, tarps. I think there's going to be four tarps that I've done both in Mason, Tucson, which uh, will kind of, it, they'll, they'll have that kind of, uh, you know, sun, the grit, you know, the windy grit that, that you feel here when you're working outside. I like working outside a lot. And, the, and sort of getting that, that feel into the paint. Um, and I think these tarps are actually quite successful. And there'll be a couple of floor pieces, which uh, I'll be realizing next week. And, um, and then a number of smaller works. Should be pretty good. Well, it's, it's very exciting. And yes, we'll have information on that exhibition for our listeners to find. Well, Brad, thank you so much for this. And thank you for your time here. It's really been great. Yeah, I appreciate it. And uh, good luck on it. It's, it's good to finally meet you. Actually, I'll be up. Um, uh, I'll be pulling some prints, I think, at High Point in, in Minneapolis. So uh, I'll be up in your neck of the woods after that because you have incredible fishing waters. Yes, we and do. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> that's, I, that, that's really a passion of me. So, yeah, yeah I can't wait to do that thing. Well, I look forward to being able to connect with you again. So I appreciate that. Brad, thank you so much for this. A uh, pleasure and an honor. Thank you. And that does it for this episode of Five Playing Questions. I want to thank Brad again for his time and sharing his story with us. So yeah, uh, Brad's exhibition at the Plains Art Museum was my first exhibition. And that was back in uh, 2019. And it really broke my heart when we had the event at the Plains where he gave an artist talk and he gave a performance in Fargo downtown that night. And 
it was really heartbreaking for me for not being able to be there. Uh, unfortunately, I was with this other event that uh, in the end uh, didn't pan out. And I was really bummed that I had missed an opportunity to be able to connect with Brad. And really, the missing of that opportunity was one of the factors that led to the creation of this podcast. Because I, I love having conversations with people and for us to have been able to connect later on. Fortunately, you know, uh, good work, good faith in the efforts to to do good work, uh, you know, the right people come around and you connect again. And that's what happened in this case. And so I'm very happy to be able to have had the opportunity to connect with him once again and to be able to have this interview. So I'm deeply grateful for that. Now with Brad, there's um, there's three things that are coming up. Two that are happening right now. Uh, there's Swap Meet at the Scottsdale Contemporary Art Museum, and that goes through October 9th. So if you're in the area, you got to check that out. He also has another exhibition called Brad Kelhammer, 1159 to Tucson, at the Tucson Museum of Art in Tucson, Arizona. And that runs through September 25th, 2022. So please go check those out. Uh, there are links in the show notes to those two exhibitions. And starting on May 12th of 2022, um, in New York City at the Garth Green Gallery, there's an exhibition, the Brad Kell Hammer uh, Fort Gotham, USA. And again, there are show notes um, and the links to go check those out. If you're in those areas, uh, you, I really urge you to go see Brad's work. Um, it's such an experience. Uh, that you should miss it, and I hope that when I'm in those areas uh, coming up later this year, I'll be able to check those out too. So it was such an honor and a privilege to be able to connect with Brad and to, to experience his work in the way that I did. So Brad, thank you. I also want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening to what I feel is a very important story and perspective from our community. So please, join us next week as we speak with another incredible person. I'm Joe Williams. You can find me on Canada at C-A-N-A-A, Creativity Among Native American Artists, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, across social media, and at the PlainsArt.org website. There you can see our programming, our past videos, and these podcasts. And also, if you have a suggestion for someone for me to interview, please find me on social media and message me. I'd really like to hear from you. All right, well, that's it. We will see you next time. This has been an 11 Warrior Arts production.